So my head tells me that God is everywhere and we experience him as we go and as we gather. And, um, but my heart tells me God is here in a special way. And praise him for that. So I'm glad to, glad to worship. It's good to worship and be together today. Next week, don't come back here. Do not gather in this room. Meet us at Rolling Ridge uh, Conference Center, North Andover, right on Lake Kachikawik. Beautiful outdoor service, 10 a.m. Show up early. You're the 9 o'clock. You're the early people anyway. But, uh, you know, bring your chair. Bring a blanket. Um, give yourself time to park. We're going to start right at 10 o'clock. And then afterwards, we'll have food. You don't even have to bring food. We're just going to have food for everybody. So we'll have a little picnic, lunch, and some fun time just to be outdoors. So just block that day off, and we'll have a great time. And then we'll get you home in time for the Patriots game. Don't worry. We, we double-check all these things. Uh, there's, there are leaders in our church who care about these kind of things. And so, um, so join us with that. But today, we're finishing up... Uh, Ten Commandments series. This is week 10 out of 10. We made it. You got all the way through. Uh, in the Jewish, we call them the Ten Commandments. Well, we got to get through this sermon, so careful there. The, uh, in, the, in our tradition, we call Ten Commandments. In Jewish tradition, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, they call it the Ten Words. And so we've been calling this sermon series Ten Words to Live By, uh, borrowing the title from a book of the same title by Jen Wilkin. Um, and so I want to uh, take a little bit of time to review today the ground that we've covered and then cover this last uh, command here. If you're new to the church, if you're visiting or just kind of joining online, um, you know, it might seem odd that we'll spend the enti- we've spent the entire summer on these commands and these rules. Um, you know, we're Americans. We like our freedom. We don't like to talk about rules and, and law. Um, we are also, a number of us have come out of faith traditions that were very strict, uh, very legalistic, very rules-based or very guilt-based. And so we don't want to go back there. We don't want to focus on uh, the, just this rule-following, guilt-based kind of uh, religion. So we entered into this whole series with a little bit of trepidation, but what we've seen is that God's law is all about his grace. It's, it's a gift to us. It's, it's a way, God's commands are a way for us to experience his love, a way for us to truly be free. This verse, 1 John 5, 3, says it the best. This is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. This is, God's commands are not a burden to us. They're a blessing to us. And what they do is create a way of life. God gave his law to this group of people. They had uh, been freed out of a life of slavery. And God gave it to them not just to be more civilized, although they needed that. Not just to be nicer people, but to demonstrate to a world a whole new way of life. That this is God's kingdom on earth being lived out. That God is reordering a broken world. He is recreating goodness into a world that is broken in sin. And as so if God is putting the world to rights on a cosmic level, these people got to be part of that by living his way. And today, we also get to be part of that. God putting the world to right on a cosmic level, as you live and as you follow God's way, you're part of his kingdom on earth. So you can take your normal, ordinary, boring life, and now you're living true, abundant, eternal life 
that Jesus came to bring you. And you can live it every day. And this is all part of that. We've been seeing that, and it's just a huge, uh, this is a, uh, a huge opportunity for us. So it's been good. It's been challenging for me. I've been challenged by these commands, and I hope it's been challenging and uplifting and, and helpful for you as well. So what I want to do today is I want to just, I'm going to recap the Ten Commandments here. I want to specifically, secondly, focus on uh, coveting or envy as our last one here, and then I want to demonstrate or show to us the remedy for envy, because Scripture gives us that as well. So a recap, envy, and a remedy. Let us pray. God, it's good to be together. It is good for us to be here in this room and those gathered online because you're present and because you are good and because of those things that you are using this time both accepting our worship, but also um, bringing something to us as we seek you in your word, as we seek your face, and you reveal yourself to us through the testimony of your goodness, um, in the praises of your people, and now in your word. Help us to understand it and respond to it well. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. The uh, little uh, recap here, the first commandment of, that we looked at, have no other gods before me, and we were talking about how God desires to be primary in our lives. This is sort of the ultimate commandment to put God first, that we are not a people, as in the day when this law was given, we, we don't have a polytheistic mindset, but the same things that people were pursuing through different gods in their day, we pursue those same things. We just don't call them gods but they functionally play that role in our lives as we pursue things other than God, as we pursue uh, success or approval or relationships or money or all those things that we put before God and we, we put him first. The second command was about idols. So not just worshiping something other than God, but don't worship anything less than God. We talked about how true worship was worship that would happen in spirit and in truth. So because worship is spirit, we don't ascribe special power or value to objects, to places, to people, but we can just worship God in spirit. And we worship God in truth. Therefore, we have these notions of God that are little deficient or inadequate, and we we put those away and we seek to know God in all of his fullness and worship him uh, as he deserves. The third command was uh, not to misuse the name of the Lord your God or not to take the Lord's name in vain, as we may have learned that one. Kathy Harwood, our youth pastor, did a great job on that message. Um, More than just not using God's name as an expletive, which is pervasive in our culture. There's people just throw God's name or Jesus' name out there in any way they like. But it's beyond that, considering how do we honor God's name? How do we uh, use our words to be intentional in how we speak of God and what we ascribe to God and to be very careful and intentional as God deserves with his name? Uh, The fourth command is to uh, remember the Sabbath and keep the Sabbath holy. The highlight of that message for me was Sherry's testimony of finding Jesus as her true Sabbath, coming out of a tradition that was very strict Sabbath-keeping and seeing that Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a reality that we can experience 
uh, the rest of God, the, having peace and true rest in him, and fostering that by having rhythms of rest in our life as well. Uh, the fifth command was to honor your father and mother. Pastor Dan shared this message. He said that it, this is a complicated command because uh, it can be difficult to honor imperfect people. Relationships and people are very complex. Um, also considering how might we live honorably that we might be people who are uh, living a way of life that is, uh, that is honorable and considering what that looks like in our daily lives. Commands number six, seven, and eight is uh, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Basically, don't take your neighbor's life, wife, or stuff. <laughs> and you say, that's easy enough. I'm not going to take my neighbor's wife, life, or stuff. Life, life, wife, or stuff. But Jesus says there's actually a heart condition behind all of those behaviors where you are actually taking those things. We, it, it's not just the act itself, but it is your heart that God wants. And, and so we see there's a lot underneath those commands that we all need to work on. Last week, we talked about lying or not, uh, shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. How can we be truth tellers, which is also very difficult because it's easy to not. Um, and also, how do we build others up with our words rather than sort of condemning them with our words? And we can do that every day. As it, and I hope this week you've had opportunity to use your words, whether written or spoken, to build up someone else, to edify someone else. And that's it. Those are the first nine. So now we're down to the last one. Uh, again, this has been rich and it's been challenging. The, the commands, these ten commands are so familiar because we've seen them so many places. Many of us uh, grew up in you know, Sunday school type of a setting where you were repeated these things. But below the surface, there's a lot here for us to live out. So that's your recap. So that's 10 for the price of one. Uh, but now, secondly here, envy, the 10th command. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Envy or coveting is a desire to have something that you have no right to. Whether it's someone else's property, their spouse, someone else's achievement, someone else's fantastic Hawaiian vacation, uh, someone else's good looks, anything that you have no right to and wanting it for yourself. Envy is funny, this last commandment, because there's no evidence, nobody can bring evidence against you that you're coveting. All the other commands, if you're worshiping idols, if you're stealing, if you're lying, someone could, could make a case against you. This person has lied. This person has committed adultery. and there's, You're guilty. But coveting is something you do inside, in the heart. There's, there's not necessarily an outward evidence against you. It goes straight to the heart. So as, as the author Jen Wilkins said, the commands go from uh, do not do to do not say. It's now don't even think about it. But you know it when it happens. God certainly knows it. It's that little feeling inside when someone else gets promoted and we feel like maybe that was ours. Um, when, when someone else has that new car, and 
You remember when you liked your car, when you got it, and how you don't anymore. You visit someone's spectacular home, and there's that little thing inside you that wants it. Um, and it's not just big things, not just, oh, I'd love to have your life or your fantastic children or your spectacular property. It's small things. You know, I, you know I, I don't need your family, but man, your teeth, how are they so white? Like, that's, that's really, my, my, I drink too much coffee. How do you do that? You know, I don't care anything about your fancy house, but man, your grass, there's no crabgrass. How do you do that in August in New England? I mean, that is something, man. Little, every little thing, we just want it. If you, or inside, if you ever feel this sort of you're rooting against someone else, actually hope their business doesn't do well, or I want them to fail in some way, that's either envy or it's unforgiveness, or both. But that thing inside um, is not good. Uh, this is an important command. As in James chapter 1, the teaching is very specific about this, is that sin starts there with that little desire for that thing, it's whether it's envy or some other uh, false desire. James chapter 1.14 says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. There's this progression of a desire that I have that becomes a sin that produces death in my life. And that, that is the same progression from the very first sin. Remember, in the garden, Eve, there was deception, but Eve had this desire. Ooh, that fruit is desirable. She sees it. And it's desirable for, for gaining wisdom. So there's a, but then the act of sin comes. But there's something that happens before the action. It's this desire inside, and that gives birth to sin, which brings a life of death. We live in a culture that just, I mean, envy is just everywhere, and the things that we see and experience and look at fuel envy. We look at our lives and we have, we have whatever expectation that the world has given us of what your life should be like today. And then there's the reality of what your life is today. And that gap of your expectation and your reality, that's where we're going to be prone to envy. Because other people will have those things. Other people will have achieved those things. And we compare ourselves to others. I think of students going back to school this week. And just sitting around a whole other classroom of students your age and comparing clothes and how smart you are and how good you are at sports and this constant comparison in all ages, but just it gets amplified you know, as these seasons begin. And then we fuel all that envy by the things we look at. We watch HDTV. You see these shows that's like ultimate renovation of your house. Um, you know, these, which property do I want to buy? And there's all, all these amazing properties. And, I, and we watch these shows about people buying properties. And, and we just, we see these ideals. And we, we want to just, I mean, social media would be kind of the worst place to fuel envy. Because you're looking at other people's lives and photos of them and their families. And you see it. But the, you don't put unflattering pictures of you and your family and all the fights you had on the vacation on there. Some people are a little more honest. 
You put the nice ones. You put the, where everybody's eyes are open and when everybody's um, not crying. That's the picture that gets up there. And it creates this ideal or this image that's so perfect and really unattainable. And, and then that's, I mean, envy can just, that's just gasoline on the fire of envy. So I would say that the first step is to turn down the fuel. If those things cause you to feel a lack in your life, the things that you look at, the media we consume, comparing ourselves to others, as much as we can turn those things down, we do that. But we need more than that. Because this goes deep, and this covetousness goes deep into our heart. There is a true remedy for envy. And the true remedy is contentment. It's being content in Jesus. The remedy to the tenth command, do not covet, is the first command. See rule number one. Have no other gods before me. Make me first and primary in your life. And everything else is going to flow from that. If I put God first, I'll be content and I won't envy. This, that's why that first commandment is the ultimate commandment. And this whole thing comes full circle for us. My favorite passage in Scripture uh, that talks about contentment in Christ is from Philippians chapter 4. A very famous passage of Scripture. But the Apostle Paul is writing to this young church and he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. He said, I've found the secret of being content. And this is profound Because he says here, it's not based in material things and it's not based in your circumstances. That is the complete opposite of what this world will tell you. That is profoundly, that is why we are living a completely different way of life than the rest of the world as we follow Jesus. Because the world says, actually, if you want to be content, it's all about material things and your circumstances. You know, there there are things... The world says there are things that make your day-to-day life better and safer or more reliable. You can get devices and phones and other gadgets that can help you organize and communicate and connect better. You know, you, there's, there are things like your, a new, say a new house, because your house is too small. And imagine how much happier you'd be if you didn't have to share a bathroom or if your kitchen was set up better. You're, all this unnecessary strife in your life, just fix it. There's a product or a drug or a a food that you can eat that will fix your life. It will satisfy you. And Paul says, I've been well fed and I've been hungry. Contentment has nothing to do with material things. But beyond that, he says it has nothing to do with your circumstances. But the world tells us that if you're not content, it has everything to do with your circumstances. Just change your circumstances. You got a bad job? Get a new job. No one respects you? Go back to school. Get another degree. Get ahead. You got a bad marriage? Go ahead. Change that. Get a new one. Unhappy with your commute? Move to another town. If you feel stuck in life, try something new, a new hobby, a new activity, volunteer, do something. Change your circumstances. And Paul says, contentment has nothing to do with my circumstances. Nothing to do with my stuff. Nothing to do with my circumstances. What is the secret of being content? He says in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
I do it all through Jesus. The one who can truly fill the void. The one who brings life into death. The one who brings meaning and purpose to everything. The one who created you. The one who died on a cross to redeem you. In him, you can find contentment. Regardless of your circumstance. Regardless of your stuff. So for the person who struggles with envy, because other people are ahead and you are falling behind or you are poor or you're unhealthy or you're just in all kinds of brokenness, the cross reminds you that God is not against you, that God is for you, that God takes even the worst hardship and, on, on the cross and uses it to redeem the world. And God can redeem your hardship. That God has not abandoned you. He's with you in that. For the person who struggles with envy, not because you're failing, but when, you're, when you want something, you go get it. You buy it. You do achieve. You, you are able to change your circumstances, and you, you go for the next thing again and again. And your success very much could drive you away from God. The cross of Jesus Christ reminds you that you are successful, not because God is rewarding you, but because of his grace. That the, the rich and the poor and the one who's succeeding and the one who's failing all stand on level ground before the cross. And it's just his grace that he gives us. And we re, the cross regrounds all of us, wherever we are, whatever our circumstances, that we need Jesus. And the secret to contentment, the power, the strength, again, he says, I, I, I can do all things. I have this power to be content regardless of circumstances. It's through Jesus. And and now each of us gets to leave here and live this out every day. Especially if it's a new season. And I love Labor Day is a great, this is a great time because it marks kind of the, the academic year and really our ministry calendar flows. This is a marker, even more than New Year's in many ways. We have... We, have, we can reset schedule you know, and, and ask the question, God, how can I intentionally refocus the rhythm of my day to put you first, to find my satisfaction in you by seeking you through your word, by intentionally doing things that, that feed my soul before my schedule just kind of takes control and I'm just on that race. That's the question we have for us. So, I want to finish with uh, the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And if it's, not, if, you, if, if it's not too weird, just if you'll just close your eyes where you're seated, or if, just, if you want to just focus your eyes somewhere on the cross, or just let these words of Jesus just wash over you. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father God, you've given these Ten Commandments, you gave them as words carved into stone. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would carve these truths onto our heart, that they would be a delight to pursue. That we might, with all of our hearts, follow you. To delight in your will, to to see this not as a burden, but as a freedom of life satisfied fully in you, Lord. May you be our satisfaction. May you truly be more than enough for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.